Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A judge just told 26-year-old Amelia Carr her role in the murder of Heather Strong will cost her her life. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Amelia Carr. Inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. Investigators found Strong buried in a shallow grave more than a month after she was reported missing. How far along are you? I'm eight months. So you're eight months? Yeah. Okay. Trying to get some things together. We try to sort out some, some differences and get a clear understanding. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. A show where I chat with many different men and women, all serving lengthy prison sentences for a range of different crimes. Today is part one of my chat with Amelia Carr. My name is Amelia Carr. Um, I was charged and found guilty of first-degree capital premeditated felony murder and first-degree kidnapping. I was originally sentenced to death and now I'm serving two life sentences. The story you're about to hear over the next few episodes is nothing short of tragic. It's a story that made headlines across America and one that shocked everyone who heard about it. It's a crime that's been covered in numerous documentaries and news broadcasts over the years, but now it will be told by the lady who was convicted for it, a crime in which she's always maintained she's innocent of. And now is her chance to tell her unedited side of that story. As always, I'm not here to prove Amelia innocent or guilty. I'm simply here to allow her to tell her side of the events that happened back in 2009. This tragic story is set in Marin County, an area of Florida known as the horse capital of the world, with more than 1,200 horse farms. It's set in the central portion of Florida and has a population of just under 400,000. One of the most famous of those residents is none other than John Travolta. Well known for the nearby Silver Springs community, the Ocala National Forest and Florida Trail, it was among one of Florida's first tourist destinations. However, 
In February of 2009, it would become the destination for the kidnapping and murder of Heather Strong. Investigators found Strong buried in a shallow grave more than a month after she was reported missing. Heather Strong was a mother of two from Mississippi who was in an extremely unhealthy relationship with a man named Joshua Fulgham. We'll get more into the details of everything very soon, but before all that, we first need to understand where Amelia came from. And as a word of warning, there will be discussions of abuse against children. So, listener discretion is advised. I would like to talk about your life prior to the events that led up to the situation. Um, now, again, uh, it's, been, it's been pretty highly publicised and I've seen it around quite a bit, but um, if you're happy to talk about it, I think it's important to understand your upbringing because I believe that you, you came for quite an abusive situation within your home. Okay. Um, I was born in Bartow and I was born to a father who came over on the Mario boat lift from Cuba and my mother, who it was a migrant worker. There really was no education or really English speaking. Um, my mother, who's passed away just recently in April, she had a third grade education and she had already had my brother and sister by the time I was born. And so I grew up in a household with a brother who has struggled in um, school, an older sister who is severely epileptic and has a degenerative eye disease called Starscars. And a few years after me came my younger sister who has 13 birth defects. Around the age of four is when the abuse started. And prior to it starting with me in Lakeland before we moved up here to McIntosh, my father and grandfather had gotten in trouble for the extent of the abuse on my older sister. And so we moved up here for a fresh start and to be closer to Shams Hospital for my younger sister. My mother said that she never thought it would happen to me or my little sister because we are my father's biological children, but unfortunately it did. And it went on till about the age of 15 when I finally decided to open my mouth to a counselor because it was just, it's one thing if you're going to hurt me, but you're not going to hurt my handicapped little sister. And as a result, we ended up in foster care. And foster care it's not the greatest experience mm. you're in yeah you're in a total stranger's house and you it's made clear that you're not theirs and that you serve a purpose there and that it's for financial gain and they feel like they're doing you a favor but in essence they're not um me and my little sister ended up getting separated which caused me to run away because you're not going to separate me from her and they gave us both back to the social worker the next day. Finally allowed us to come home, and we went into foster care because my mom chose to, rather than leave my father when the accusations came out, she chose to find a way to be with him anyway. So we were taken as a consequence of. So after years of abuse at the hands of her father, Amelia and her sister are removed from her family home and placed into foster care. In the US, there are around 420,000 children and youth in the foster care system. And shockingly, around 90% of these children will experience severe trauma, with only 50% of those children being reunited with their biological family. Amelia and her sister were part of that small 50% who were reunited with their biological family. However, 
Not long after being reunited with their mother, Amelia finds out some horrific news. So when she finally took us back, my father was in Marion County Jail. And when he was in county jail, um, unbeknownst to us until it came out in the media, we found out that he was trying to plot to have me, my mother, and my grandmother killed so that we wouldn't testify against him regarding the abuse. So no matter what you think about Amelia or her innocence or guilt, her upbringing was nothing short of horrendous. As someone who was extremely lucky to grow up in a very loving home, listening to Amelia tell me her story left me speechless. It seems the home in which she grew up in was one controlled by a very evil man. And it seems that unfortunately her mother suffered a similar upbringing. Amelia explains. I grew up in a household that is very, yeah, they're very, you know, you don't, like, you know, my father being from Cuba, I grew up in a home where you don't speak unless spoken to a woman to know her place. She's treated as less than, you know, because from where he comes from in their culture, men are the head of the house, they run things, they do whatever they want. And my father, although he kept our home up on outward appearances, he was not very good to my mother. Mm. And so my mother, who had no education, knew no other way. She only knew to be with a man and have a man take care of her. Yeah. So it was a very difficult childhood. Did you, um, were you, resent, were you resentful of your mother for, for the situation? Um, for a while as a young adult, until I came to understand that my mother is a human being just like I am. We tend to put our parents on these pedestals mm. and we have these expectations of them. But my mother had also been abused as a young girl and had my older sister at the age of 13. So my mother only did what she thought was normal. And when I was able to get that understanding, I was able to understand her and forgive her and not bear any resentment to her. Yeah, oh, look, it's it's um, it's, it's horrendous. And obviously that it, it just shows that that cycle of abuse just continues generally. Um, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's accepted in some cultures and some areas and, and, you know, it's kind of just seen as one of those things that just happens. Um, but that's, you know, obviously that's an awful, um, awful way to be brought up. I mean, you know, it's, I can't even fathom it, to be honest. So with the situation with your father, um, plotting to have you guys, um, murdered to not be able to speak against him, you say you found that out in the media. How old were you when you found that out? Oh my gosh, I was 16. Wow, and you spoke Because I on had opened my mouth. Well, yeah, I had opened my mouth about the abuse that was going on in the home in hopes of getting help. Now, mind you that as a young child, I was unaware that my older sister and my grandmother had been making phone calls to the Department of Children and Families because they knew what was going on in the home. And every time the Department of Children and Families would come out, you know, we were told, well, if you talk to them, you're never going to see your family again. They're going to put you with strangers. So we always acted like nothing was happening. Well, again, like I said, it's one thing to do it to me. You're not going to do it to my little sister. So when I found out that my little sister was being abused, I opened my mouth thinking that we would get help. And it just, everything just started to spiral so greatly out of hand. It was horrible. Mm. It was horrible. So what happened after, so, you, you know, your father was in, in jail, um, tried to have you guys killed to not talk against him. He, that obviously was discovered 
Um, was he then sentenced to jail for that particular situation? Um, well, from what I was told, he started seeking out someone that could have us killed and was offering to pay them with his life insurance money. And he ended up, someone told, and they, get, they got an undercover cop in there and they recorded him doing it. And so from my understanding, that's how he ended up getting caught and getting in trouble. Did you see him again after that? No, I never saw him again. And he died in 06. Right. Did he die in jail or was he out of jail when he passed away? Um, He was really, really sick. And I am not sure. I never inquired. Sure. Why would you, to be honest? By then I'd already had my oldest and I just was, I, I didn't, I couldn't handle it. So while moving back into her mother's house, Amelia would meet a man six years her senior and she would begin a relationship with that man. Even that is a strange story when Amelia explains the circumstances which saw them become married. Me and Eric um, did not have a good relationship. Um, We were young and our circumstances of getting together were actually... I was coming out of foster care and he was helping us move our stuff back into my mom's home and we met and I didn't realize the age difference and when DCF discovered that I was pregnant that we were pretty much given the option to get married or he would go he would be arrested because he was six years older than I so we got married tried to make it work and we were just young and not ready Who said that you had to get married or he'd get arrested? Who was that? I was still technically a ward of the state. I was just given into my grandmother's custody. And so when DCF found out that I was pregnant by someone who was 22 years old, who was six years my elder, we were pretty much told that either we got married or that we would, he would be potentially facing prison time. That seems, seems odd. That is how it is in this country or actually in this state. If you're with someone who is under the age of 18, then you're looking at prison time. Yeah, I mean, I, I've just never, that, that's just, they just said to him, either he gets married to you or he goes to jail, which, I mean, if it's, it's either illegal or it's not, I, mean, I don't see what the marriage has to do with it. Because if we're married, then my parents legally consent and they're allowing this. If they don't, then technically in the eyes of the law, I was a ward of the state and so they could do what they wanted. Yes, you heard that right. A 22-year-old man got into a romantic relationship with Amelia, who, at the time, was a minor. When it was discovered by the DCF, or Department of Children and Families, they were instructed to either get married or Amelia's partner would face federal charges for a sexual relationship with a minor. Now, I did some research on this and found that only as of 2018 was a bill brought in to tighten the laws on child marriage. Prior to that, in Florida, minors typically needed to be at least 16 to marry. However, those who were pregnant could marry at any age if they had parental permission. One of the things you'll discover as you speak to us regarding the law in the state of Florida is that it tends to be applied when it seems fit Mm. at that moment in time. I'm also a certified law clerk, and so I've had nothing but ample time to research and understand how these things work and don't work, depending on the purposes that the people who apply them are trying to serve. 
it's unfortunate, but it's the reality. Yeah, I think one thing I've learned about the law in Florida, it is um, bizarre is one word I'd use to, to describe it. A government organisation put in place to protect children forced a 16-year-old to marry her older boyfriend or he would face federal charges. Now, as a 16-year-old, I'm sure you think you're in love and the last thing you want is for your partner to be facing potential prison time and being labelled a sex offender. So, of course, you're going to go along with that. So, yet again, adults are failing to protect a child who has already been subjected to horrendous abuse in her past and now she's to be married. Of course, don't get me wrong, we're not talking about the charge or crime that Amelia has been convicted of. We're going to look at that soon. What we are looking at here is an innocent child at the time being let down again and again by the people who should be protecting her. And, unsurprisingly, the relationship does not last very long. So you got married at yep. 17, you've had two children, What? Yep. sorry, you've had a, a child. What, what age were you when you had your second child? 19. And still with the same partner? Yes. I mean, obviously, as you said, the, you know, it wasn't a great relationship. You, you weren't ready for marriage. How long did you stay married for? About five years. Um, when that marriage fell apart, I went home briefly and I ended up in another relationship. Um, one of the things I've learned as an adult is due to the exposure of, you know, the abuse and stuff at a young age, I was very promiscuous. And I was very irresponsible in my choices with partners and my behaviors and things like that. And so I would, I was very promiscuous as a young person. And as a result, I was pregnant with my fourth child by the time I was arrested. Now, this is actually an important factor from Amelia's perspective. Detectives state the motive for Amelia's involvement in the crime she would be convicted of was love. The whole case has and continues to be labelled as a love triangle gone wrong. Amelia supposedly wanted this man all to herself. But she says that's just not true. She was never interested in any serious relationships with any of the men she became involved in. Her focus was her children. I had my own life, and every now and then we would just hug up for a fling, a moment, and then we would go back to our own life. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Amelia will talk us through the moment she first met the man that would later become her co-defendant. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yes, you know the time. It's thank you time. My thanks to you for listening to this show and helping to spread the message of one minute remaining as our listenership grows each and every week, as does the membership in our one minute remaining private Facebook group. If you're not yet a member, just jump on Facebook and search the one minute remaining podcast and join other listeners discussing the cases we talk about on the show, as well as your chance to ask me any questions you might have. Speaking of which, coming up very soon, we will be doing our very first Q&A episode. So if you do have a question, jump in the group and you'll find out there how to get involved. And finally, as a request from our very first ever group member, Megs Rogers, a quick shout out to just some of our most active members on the group. Kelly Patricio is probably pronouncing your last name wrong, Kelly. So if I am, I apologize and I owe you a one minute remaining mug if they are ever out and about. Natasha Dengate, Scott Rundell, Susan Payton, uh, also Bev, I'm definitely going to say this wrong, Eitenhart. I owe you a mug as well. Uh, Jess Powell, Tanya Maguire, so many people getting involved with this show. Steph Warburton, you are all incredible, every single one of you in that group. So thank you so much indeed for getting involved, starting conversations, discussing each of these cases and asking the questions that you do. If you are not yet a member, just search the One Minute Remaining podcast and I'll see you there. Josh and Heather began dating when Heather was just 15 and he was 22. The relationship had problems from the very beginning. Joshua was a violent man and had a very short temper, often taking his anger out on Heather. They had an on-again, off-again relationship and of course Heather's family were very unhappy with the situation and were hopeful that it would come to an end at some point. Instead, in 2003, Heather and Josh would relocate from Mississippi over 700 miles away to Florida. By now, the couple had two young children and the tumultuous relationship continued. Once relocated to Florida, this is when Amelia and Josh would first meet. So they moved up here from Mississippi, oh gosh, 2005, 2006. I don't know, I really didn't know him. I knew of him and the first time I met him was when a mutual friend passed away. Mm -hmm. And I was over at um, my youngest son's father's home talking to him when he pulled up and said that, you know, their friend had passed away. I met him in the front yard of my son's home. Right. My son's father's home. How did that relationship so look Well, it really didn't develop till later when I just, he worked for a landscape company down the road from my mom. And so I would go to work and I would see him in the mornings. And I would just drive by because I was going to school for massage therapy at the time. And it just, I would drive by and see him. It was really nothing. And then one day he just stopped by and he just asked how I was doing, how my kids were. And that's how we just started to communicate and talk. Joshua and Heather would eventually split for a time 
And this is where reportedly him and Amelia would become more of an item. Although Amelia says she never saw it as a relationship. Um, I wouldn't call it a relationship. Mm. Um, I was young. Yeah. And, you know, I would just kind of have these little flings. And then I would just... I mean, it was really nothing serious to me. It was just... I was young. Yeah. I just had these moments with people and then I'd be like, okay, I'm done. And it doesn't just fire excuse it. But again, in my own immature behaviors, I thought this was okay. So was it the case of when he felt he was having an argument with Heather, he'd come and hang out with you, uh, and then when he thinks things were better with Heather, he'd go back to her? Is that essentially what was happening? No, it wasn't. Um, I had my own life, and every now and then we would just hug up for a fling, a moment, and then we would go back to our own lives. I mean, it's just, it was nothing. So it wasn't like we would hang out and, you know, sit and do this and that. No, we would just, you know, call it what it is, just have sex and then go our separate ways. Further reports in the media would also suggest that during Heather and Josh's split, Josh would propose to Amelia. But again, she says this just isn't true. Did he propose to you at one point? No, I know there's talk about that. Yeah. But there wasn't. I had, I was just coming out of a divorce with uh, my second ex-husband, Jamie Carr. And he would joke about it, but it was never anything. And I would be like, no, listen, I'm just coming out of a relationship. And it was just, it, we were never serious on that level. And it's crazy how it's gotten so misconstrued that we wanted this whatever relationship because we did. Mm. He had his stuff going on with her and her kids. I had just gotten licensed as a certified massage therapist. I was trying to build a life. I was pregnant with my fourth child. It was never like that. Because, I mean, that's that's important then because, I mean, pretty much the entire case is built on the the, the notion that you were, you were involved in this because of jealousy, basically. I know. I know. And that's the crazy thing is anybody who knew me back then knew that I had four children and I had to buy at least three different people and I was not intent on being with anybody. I was okay by myself. And it's just, it's crazy because I know that that's how it's been misconstrued and it's so wrong. Mm. It's so wrong. But yet this is the theme that was sold when I went to trial and I was so upset about it because at the time that all this even happened, me and him weren't together. We weren't messing around, we weren't anything. I was living at my mom's. So it's crazy how the media can take and just say, this is what happened, and no matter how much I say, but no, that's not how it was. Nobody hears anything because they want to believe the absolute worst. Most people are more apt to believe, you know, how's the saying go? It's easier to believe a possible lie than an impossible truth. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's just—I don't know—but it's been frustrating. It's been frustrating because all these years, I keep having to deal with that. They make it seem like it was this jealousy, this, and there's not. There never was. There never was. And there's so much more to the story than anybody even knows. So, as mentioned, Joshua Fulgham was a violent man with a short temper, and Amelia says she witnessed this firsthand on a number of occasions. I have seen because 
again, we all got along. There was never any animosity. I've been at their house with him and Heather when I he's gotten drunk or he's been high and he has put his hands on her or talked to her so disrespectfully. And I've, I've seen a lot. What I find quite astounding is that a man such as Josh, known for his violence and temper, can still manage to seemingly have a hold over these women. I asked Amelia why she would even want to remain involved with a man like Josh. Was it the simple fact that he was one of the only men in town? Did he have some sort of charisma? What exactly was it about this man that would make these women want to continue in a relationship with him? I mean, it's not like he was the only one. I mean, because like I said earlier, we were all very promiscuous back then because she had also slept with my youngest son's father. Like, we just, it was just what, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question other than we just, we were all there and available, so it was just, what we did. Yeah, no, fair and enough. I mean, that, that is not a very <laughs> well-spoken answer, but I mean, it's... It is what it is, basically. When you wanted to... Yeah, it was nothing serious to it. It was just, hey, let me call you up. You want to hook up later? All right, and then we go about our way without the commitment, without the responsibilities, because we all had our own individual lives. As Amelia has stated, she never saw her relationship with Josh as anything serious. However, detectives would dispute this claim as Amelia and Josh were reportedly living together for a time. Amelia says this was during one of Josh and Heather's off-again moments. In fact, Heather was dating someone else. And that this arrangement was purely a convenience thing as she had offered to help with taking care of the children. Um, it was, I want to say, late August to maybe mid-November and he needed help with the kids. This was when Heather was living with um, Ben and she was babysitting and he just needed help. And I was pregnant and I just was there helping take care of the children. It's really all it was. I was the go-between. I would help, you know, like me and pick up the kids and drop them off. That way they wouldn't have to deal with each other and that's really all it was. Not long after this reported proposal to Amelia, Joshua and Heather would reconnect, and Joshua proposes to Heather. And in 2008, they marry. Shortly after they're married, Josh, in one of his many violent outbursts, would hold a shotgun to Heather. She then calls the police, and Josh is arrested. He, at one point, I think, held a shotgun or a gun at her. Uh, which she reported and he was arrested for. Is that true? Yes. I wasn't there for that, but I remember that incident because Heather called me about, um, shortly after because we got along, and that's why I don't understand how the media has skewed things and made it seem like there was animosity between me and Heather because there never was, because me and her would meet up so that the kids could go back and forth. That way they didn't have to deal with them arguing and bickering. So there was never animosity between me and her. I mean, to just leave it, to just call it what it is, I grew up in a small town where a lot of us just, we were young and we were stupid and we slept around. I mean, she had slept with my youngest son's father. There was never animosity. It's just we were young. Mm. We were immature. We made bad choices. But there was there were times that, you know, him and her, they had a lot of domestic, a lot. Prior to... Um, his final arrest when in March, I believe there were three or four separate injunctions that she had filed and dropped and filed and dropped and filed due to the severity of his threat. Now, 
The audio that you're about to hear is chilling. It is the actual phone call between Joshua Fulgham and Heather Strong. Joshua is in jail for pointing a shotgun at his new wife's head during an argument. Hello? Hey, please don't hang up. I'm not. I don't want you to do this. Guys, because I can't, you promised me. You promised me. I can't live like this. Well, are you going to push this or what? You're not going to do that, guys. You're going to kill me when you get out of there. Heather Strong would eventually drop the charges against Joshua Fulgham. And eight days after his release from jail, Heather Strong would go missing. You have one minute remaining. And there she is to wrap up this episode. Coming up, police launch a search for Heather Strong after a concerned phone call from her mother. We're currently looking into uh, the disappearance of your daughter. Yes. Okay, have you heard from her? No, I haven't. She, she doesn't call me Monday. I know something's wrong. And after visiting Heather's workplace, the investigation quickly focuses in on her husband, Joshua Fulgham. You know there's video in Petra, right? Yeah, oh yeah, they got cameras all around it. No video. Of what? Of, her, of Heather. At that Petro. On that date. All day. All night. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. <laughs>